Lucy and Ricky invited Fred and Ethel to go with them to California, where Ricky would be making a movie. The trip, of course, was on Ricky's tab. Fred and Ethel immediately accepted the invitation to the trip, and soon it became evident that the cheapest and the easiest and just the best way to get to California was to drive. So Ricky went out and bought a car. All he asked from Fred is that Fred split the cost of the gas for the trip. But Fred refused. Fred said, look, the back seat is attached to the car. It's going to go to California whether uh, uh, Ethel and I are in it or not. And if Ethel and I don't go, you're going to have to pay for all the gas anyway. So no, whoa. You're right. That's what you don't want to happen. And then the pastor to call attention to it. I'm so sorry. I apologize to her when she gets back. (laughs) You drop your tray in the cafeteria, you know. Anyway. Where, where, where were we? All right, so now, we're all aghast at Fred, aren't we? You know, that he would be so stingy, that he would be so ungrateful as to refuse to pay for this trip. But we're always aghast at the ingratitude of others. We're always aghast at the lack of faithfulness in others. It's just that you and I sometimes don't see those things, the stinginess, the ungratefulness in our own hearts and in our own lives. What you and I have in reality, you and I, what we have in reality is an all-expense-paid trip to heaven. That's what we have. And as we make the journey there, we have a friend who travels with us, a friend who never leaves us, ever. As we travel places we've never been, through things we've never seen before, there he is, he stays with us on our way to heaven. That's where we're going, a place that is beyond our ability to comprehend. And when I say heaven is awesome, I mean awesome in the true sense of the word. And you and I, we get to go there. And it costs us nothing to go there. Jesus paid all of the expenses. He doesn't even ask us to split the cost of the trip to get us there. Everything has been paid completely. So what do you do to show your gratitude, your thankfulness? How often do you think about how to show your gratitude, your thankfulness to the Lord for all that he has done for you? That's the question that we want to begin to answer today as we come to Psalm 116. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? So if you have your Bibles open, I want to ask you to stand as we hear read together from the word of the living God. Once again this week, Psalm 116, but we're going to begin in verse 12. Listen, here is the word of the Lord. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that your spirit uh, would open our eyes and hearts to see your truth and understand your truth. Open our ears, Lord, uh, to to hear what you speak to us through your word this morning. And Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would change us, that we would be different because we're here today, because we've heard your truth, Lord. Because you are using your truth to change our lives. 
So we commit ourselves to you in this time together around your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Perhaps you weren't here last week as we began to look at Psalm 116. But as we looked at it, we talked a lot about cause and effect. How God, who is the first cause, worked in the life of the man who wrote this psalm. He delivered him from death physical death, and whatever sorrows and whatever troubles this psalmist was experiencing, things that were truly devastating his life, the Lord delivered him from those things and set him free. The effect of what the Lord did in the psalmist's life is not surprising. In Psalm 1, you read, in verse 1, you, you read there, the psalmist says, I love the Lord. Not just I know the Lord, I fear the Lord, I serve the Lord. No, the psalmist says, I love the Lord. And then, as we saw, he became addicted to this reality. The reality of the relationship that he had with the Lord, that he could talk with the Lord, that the Lord would turn his ear, incline his ear, that the Lord would bend over and put his ear right up to this man's mouth when all he could produce was a whisper. The Lord heard, and the Lord answered this man's prayer. And so he says in verse 2, I will call on the Lord for as long as I live. But now this man faces a different problem. It's a good problem, but nevertheless, it's a problem. And the problem is in verse 12. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? How do I say thank you to the Lord for for everything he's done? I want to do something to express my love, my gratitude for the Lord. What should it be? This can be a problem. I know it's a problem for my life. If I have to Uh, buy someone a thank you gift that I really want to buy, I'm overwhelmed. You know, where do you go? What do you buy? What do they need? What do they like? What will they use? You know, it's difficult to find just the right gift. And so this man ponders, what shall I give to God for all his goodness to me? This man has been so changed, so changed by his experience with God that it's no longer enough for him just to take from the Lord. To receive, 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 Lord, give me, give me, give me. That's not enough anymore. Now this man wants to give something back. And in that, he's set apart from so many people around us, from all the Fred Mertzes in our lives. You know, you and I live in a generation of entitlement. And it's not just the young people in their 20s that feel so entitled. Maybe they do, but so do we all, all of us are impacted by this feeling of entitlement that we deserve what we have and we deserve even more than we have. And so the first heart check for you and for me this morning as we come to the word of the Lord is to look at our hearts. You look at yours and I'll look at mine to see if we are more like Fred Mertz, more like the entitled generation around us, or are we more like the man who wrote Psalm 116? How often, how often do you find yourself trying to figure out exactly what it is that you can give back to the Lord? To the Lord, not to other people. What can you give to the Lord? Because see, in church, it's easy to do things for other people. Oh, well, the pastor needs help. I'm going to go help him. Oh, well, the music director needs help. I'm going to help the music director out. Oh, I want to help teach Sunday school. The deacons need help. I'm going to help them. You know, and it's easy to do that. And maybe we do it with good intentions because we truly want to help. Uh, there's a true need. Maybe uh, we want other people to like us, another person to like us, whatever those reasons are. 
They're not good enough. What you do, what you do, what I do, we've got to do for the Lord, to bless the Lord, to bring the Lord joy, to bring the Lord glory. Because you don't work for me, and I don't work for you. You don't work for me, and I don't work for you. We all work for the Lord. If you teach, you teach for the Lord. If you sing, you sing for the Lord. If you change diapers over in the nursery, you change them for the Lord as service to his people. It's all for him. Because if my giving is directed at you and your giving is directed at me, we're all going in the wrong direction. What you and I need to do is to shoot our gifts up to God straight up, just like fireworks. And when they explode in the presence of God, you know, the sparks of blessing. They rain down on everyone around us. That's how we are blessed by each other's gifts. But the gift goes up to God and then back down to others. That's the direction. And that's the theology that we see in this verse. If you're reading from the NIV, you see in verse 12 the word repay. How can I repay the Lord? If you're reading from the English Standard Version or for the New American Standard, you read the word render. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? But the idea behind this Hebrew word that's used here is shifting back in the opposite direction to reach the original point from which something departed. That's the meaning of render, to reach the original point from which something departed. And so all the blessings that this man received that we looked at last week came from God. And to render or to repay the Lord means to send those blessings back in the opposite direction so that they return once more to the place from which they came. You know, I think of a, I'm silly, but I think of a superhero, you know, that's got some kind of superhero shield right here. You know, when somebody shoots a laser uh, at the superhero and it hits this shield and the laser bounces back and it goes to the place from which it came. And that's what these blessings are like. The beams, the laser beams of God's goodness and his mercy and his grace and his compassion hit us here all the time. Scripture says grace upon grace upon grace comes from the Lord to our lives. And they strike our hearts. Hearts that have been made new by the Spirit of of God. And they are reflected back to Him. That's the way it's supposed to look anyway. And so by using this word render, the psalmist is making a huge theological statement. He's saying in this one word that everything I have comes from God and should go back to him. And this is completely consistent with the whole counsel, the whole teaching of Scripture. And you hear it a lot here, but I don't think we can ever hear Romans 11.36 too many times. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen! Exclamation point. And so what you and I need to do in our lives is to complete this circle. We're all good with the, the, the from him, aren't we? <laughs> Lord, come on. Yep, yep. We're good with that. From the Lord, from the Lord. We're all good with the through the Lord. Yes, Lord, through your power, through your strength. Yeah, yeah, we're all good with that. But sometimes where it falls apart for all of us is the to him. You know, King Hezekiah was sick. So sick he almost died, but he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord answered him, and he sure assured King Hezekiah that he would not die. And he did a miracle for King Hezekiah to prove that he would not die. And the miracle was the shadow on the steps of Ahaz was going to go back ten steps. And I don't know if, if the Lord made the, the sun go back in the other direction or just made the shadow move. I don't know. And I don't know how far the sun has to move to get something to go back ten steps. But that's what happened 
for Hezekiah. Now, that's the from him part. You know, the miracle. That's the through him part. Through the power of God, Hezekiah was made well. What about the to him part? What would you give back to the Lord for that? What would you give back to the Lord for healing? For continued life? For the fact that it all came about through a a, a miracle? Well, this is where it all fell apart. It all fell apart for Hezekiah. Scripture says, but Hezekiah's heart was proud. And he did not render, same word, he did not render to the Lord, give back to the Lord, to the kindness shown to him. So here's what Hezekiah did. He got well, he got up, but he did not ask the question that this psalmist did. What shall I render to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Hezekiah didn't return to the Lord anything uh, for the kindness showed to him. And, and, and the story doesn't mention specifically what the pride of Hezekiah's heart was, just that he was proud. And maybe Hezekiah thought, well, you know what, I would have gotten well on my own, even if I hadn't prayed to the Lord. And that happens, you know. People think that way. There was a man who was late for an appointment, a really important appointment downtown. And no surprise, he could not find a parking space anywhere, no matter how hard he looked. And so he, he offered this frantic prayer, Lord, if you will help me find a parking space, I will go to church every Sunday. And then he prayed more frantically, Lord, if you will open a parking space for me, I will go to church every Sunday and I'll stop drinking. And in that moment, a parking space opened up. And the man looked up at Lord and said, never mind, Lord, one just became free. And that's what we do. We receive, we take from the Lord, and then, you know, the to him kind of falls apart for us. What do you believe, what do you believe is a source of blessing in your life, even a parking space when you need it? The source of everything good, because that question and its answer gets at the core of what you believe, where does it come from? Does it come from you? From your ingenuity? From your hard work? The fact that you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and and work and work and work, is that the source of your blessing? Or is the source of your blessing at God? Because if you say God, if you say God is the source, then in that moment you must begin to look for ways to repay the Lord, to render back to Him for what He has done for you. You know, Jesus' opponents once tried to trap him to get him in trouble with the government. And so they came to him and they said, Jesus, tell us what's your opinion. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew the evil intent of their hearts and said, why are you trying to trap me? But Jesus said, all right, give me a coin. Show me a coin. And they gave him a coin. And Jesus looked at it and he said, now tell me, whose portrait is on this coin? Whose inscription is on the coin? And they said, Caesar." And so Jesus said, okay, render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, but render unto God, give to God the things that belong to God. But Jesus didn't define what those things are. Give to God the things that are God's. He doesn't say what they are. What do you think they are? What do you think those things are? What do you have in your life? What are the things that belong to God? 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, you are not your own. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Romans 14, 7. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. And then one of my favorite questions in the Heidelberg Catechism. 
Question number one asks this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Please listen to the answer. My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins. Do you believe that? Oh, no. Nobody believes it. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. If you are a believer in Christ, the image of Christ is stamped on you. It is. If you're a believer in Christ, you bear his inscription, Christ one Christian. His image, his name stamped on you. And so you have to ask the questions, what things that I have belong to God? It's all of you. It's all of your life. But as we move on this morning, I want us to see what the psalmist believed belonged to God and to see what his thank you gift would be to the Lord. So now if you'll look again with me, but this time look between verses 12 and 13. Look between verses 12 and 13. And this is my own personal uh, pondering and wondering. I can't answer the question. You can't answer it. Nobody can answer it. But as I read verses 12 and 13, I wonder how much time, if any time at all, elapsed between verse 12 and 13, between asking the question and answering the question. And that makes me wonder what divine inspiration was like. We know that Scripture, all of it, was inspired by God. Even the psalm that we've read before us this morning, it is God-breathed. We know that God worked through His Holy Spirit in the lives of men, through their personalities, through their writing styles. He worked through them, through the Spirit, to communicate His truth in this written word to us. I know when I think about a really great song, and a Grammy Award-winning song, my first thought is that some really inspired musician just sat down at the piano, or they sat down with the Uh, a guitar, and they just ripped off this beautiful song just like that. But that's not the testimony of most songwriters. They talk about how they labor over their songs days or weeks or months, sometimes even years. Does inspiration cover the process or just the finished product? Did the writers of Scripture have erasers? What was it like to be inspired by the Spirit of God and write His holy words? And so I wonder how long it took the psalmist to get the inspired answer to the inspired question. Did he have to put his pen down and think about it for a while? Was finding the right answer to this question on his mind as he went through the course of his day doing whatever it is that he had to do? Hmm, what is it? What, what, what? What can I render? What can I give back to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I know from life experience that a really good question sometimes takes a while to answer if it's a really good question. And maybe the answer came to him in an instant, and maybe it didn't. Maybe it took some pondering and some prayer and some contemplation. Maybe he had to invest some time between verses 12 and 13. And maybe you and I are going to have to do the same. As we look at our lives and we say, what is it that I should give to the Lord for his goodness? Maybe it's not going to come to us in a snap. Maybe we have to ponder and invest some time in prayer uh, and meditation. What is it? What is it that I can really give back to the Lord? Well, verse 13 has the first thank you gift that this man gives to the Lord. Uh, Read with me there. The psalmist says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. That's his first gift. I will lift up the cup of salvation. So let's think about that cup for a minute. 
You can't lift up a cup until you first pick up the cup. Can you? The psalmist and you and I, we cannot give back to the Lord until we have taken hold, taken hold of what he has already given to us. Until we have grasped the cup of salvation. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, Not that I have already attained all this or have already been made perfect. I press on to take hold of that. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so say, Lord, Lord, I'll take hold of your salvation. Though it's difficult for me to believe that it's mine, the pardon that you offer to me for my sins through Christ, I'll take hold of it. I'll take hold, Lord, of the new life that you give me. Lord, I will embrace the transformation that you bring to my heart through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I will grab onto the promise of eternity, that heaven is real, that this life is not all there is. Lord, it's all a work of your grace. And without shame and without embarrassment, I will just sit here as you lavish on me and as you dump on me all your grace. I can't keep up. I can't give back enough. All I can do, Lord, is take hold of it. And so you thank the Lord by taking hold of what He has given you. You thank the Lord by believing that everything He said is yours, is yours. You thank the Lord by believing that He's not some medicine man selling some useless elixir off the back of a wagon. No, thank Him. Thank the Lord. Give back to Him by believing He's won your salvation, lavished you with the riches of His grace, and ensured your eternal inheritance. Pick up the cup. And then once you've picked up the cup, it's only then you can lift up the cup and lift it high. Lift high the cup for everyone to see. Raise it high. Raise a toast to the Lord in joy and thankfulness for all the Lord has done for you. This is public proclamation. It's public praise. The psalmist wants everyone he knows to see the cup that's in his hand because it is the cup of salvation. And because the psalmist knows that it's not always the cup of salvation that he held in his hand. It was a different cup that he held before. Isaiah 51, turn there, turn over, forward if you want to. Isaiah 51. In Isaiah 51, verse 17, this is God speaking. And he says this, Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of of wrath, the cup of wrath. You have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. And now skip down to verse 22. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God, who defends his people. God speaking. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From the cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. See, the exchange has taken place. God has taken the, the, the cup of wrath out of our hands and replaced it with the cup of salvation. Jesus took that cup for us. It's the cup that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died, that the Lord would let that cup pass from him, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's anger against sin. Jesus would bear it all. The sins of the world on the cross. Jesus Bore. Jesus drank every last drop out of the cup of God's wrath. 
so that he could place in your hand, in my hand, the cup of salvation. And so the psalmist says, lift it up, lift up the cup of salvation. Proclaim what the Lord has done for you. Rejoice in it. Life in Jesus. Why hide it in your pocket? You know, here's the cup. No. Lift it up. Raise a toast to the Lord. This is what the Lord has done for me. And I'm not talking about evangelism here. I'm not talking about other people. This is about you. This is about me. This is about what our hearts need. It's about what our souls need to give back to the Lord because He has given so much to us. This is what helps our soul to return to the Lord from whom and through whom our salvation has come, joyful and public praise. So this is how we give back to the Lord. Lift up the glass. Because Jesus drank the cup of salvation, because Jesus drank the cup of wrath, I drink the cup of salvation. Cheers! Thank you, Lord. I'm part of the new covenant that God established with His people. Cheers! Thank you, Lord. I am now a co-heir together with Christ. Cheers! Thank you, Lord. God has lavished on me every spiritual blessing in Christ. Cheers. Thank you, Lord. This psalm, 116, was eventually used at Passover to celebrate the cup of blessing. And so it's quite likely that Jesus sang this very psalm. Can you imagine? Psalm 116 in the upper room at the Last Supper. He sang this song. Paul writes about what happened in the upper room that night. And he says, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds this, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is how we say thank you. We publicly Proclaim the salvation of the Lord. We lift up the cup and we proclaim it until he comes again. We say, cheers. You are coming back again, Lord. Thank you. And when you come for me, I will be with you forever and ever. Cheers. Thank you, Lord. And if other people see that cup of salvation that you hold in your hand, if they see you lifted high, And if they, as a result, want to take hold of that cup and lift it high as well, then praise the Lord that he's used your public proclamation. You're lifting high the cup of your salvation to bring someone to Christ. That's good news. And I need to boldly and lavishly thank God for all that he has done for us. We don't need to be stingy in our praise. We don't need to be ungrateful to the Lord. We need to see all of our lives, uh, all of who we are as a gift from the Lord. And we need to think about how we are going to proclaim that publicly, lifting up the cup of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We don't thank you enough, Lord, for all that you do for us. Instead, we take it for granted. We take our very lives for granted. We assume we'll be here the next minute, the next hour, and the next day. And the next year, we, we just take that for granted, Lord. And we fail to see that every minute of our life is a gift of you for which you deserve our praise and thanks. Lord, there's so many other ways that you bless our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be people who are looking at our lives and asking ourselves this question, these questions, what has the Lord done for me and how can I say thank you to the Lord? 
for what he has done. Father, help us to complete the circle. We're tired of just taking from you. Lord, give me, give me, give me, and you give us, and we go on. Lord, help us be people who give back to you uh, praise and thanksgiving for what you have done for us. Make us joyful people, Lord. Pray that every person here would, would lift up and lift high the cup of salvation and experience the joy and the release that comes from saying aloud and saying proudly and boldly, Lord, you have saved me. I give you thanks and praise. And Lord, if it would be your will that others would come to faith because they see that cup of salvation and they want to drink of that from themselves, Lord, we'll give you the praise for that as well. So thank you, Lord. Salvation comes from you. Praise and honor and glory and thanksgiving be to you forever and ever. Amen.